Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Again, that's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. morning and welcome to the freshman class. Some of you I taught in Awana. It doesn't age me, it ages them, all right? They're laughing at me like, oh, so old. Anyway, it's good to see you. Welcome. Before we start, uh, let's start with a prayer. Today's prayer is from Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Amen. Lord, we long for your word now. Open our hearts and our ears so that, Lord, through your word, our lives may be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. That was in the whole of 119, if you hadn't noticed, I said I was going to be praying a psalm this whole summer. Uh, I prayed the entire chapter of Psalm 119, then that would have been the entire sermon because it has 176 verses and um, that would have been a long time to finish. But um, the prayer is that we actually love God's law, love God's word. That is what transforms us. That has been what transformed us. You know, when I look at, you know, contemporary society today, what people talk about, what they argue or debate about, some people don't like that the Bible is what we follow. So strictly, right? So strictly, so conservative, that kind of thing. And so what is the standard that you follow then would be my question. What is the standard that you follow? Is it if it feels good? Then how do you know something is right? Because it feels good? If people are happy with it, if people are happy, then it must be right. And we know that that's not true because a momentary happiness can lead to the destruction of nations. 
And we saw that happen in history where people would think this is, go this is what's going to make us prosper and happy. And then you go killing millions of people. If it feels good, cannot be the standard in which we go by because it is not a good standard. What about this? If my heart tells me I'm right, if my conscience is clear, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't feel guilty. You keep on talking about this sin stuff. As long as my heart tells me I'm okay, I'm good. Because at the end, I'm just loving people. If I'm loving people, well, whose standard is that? What if someone doesn't feel loved? Then that's their problem, right? What standard do we go by? And as Christians, I want to remind us again, as we open up today's word, the standard that we go by is the word of God. It's God's utterance and his word that we have to put ourselves up against. That is the canon, the straight rule, the measurement that we go by. And it is through this canon what is revealed to us that is glorious and magnificent and beautiful because through this word, what is revealed to us is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word, is the logos, and this is who we are studying in Matthew. In the beginning of this section, it's a very short section, it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. So this is now going to close off the past two chapters, but it's going to also connect to the next starting chapter. And if you haven't been with us and this is your first time or you haven't been with us for the whole Matthew ride, um, this verse, very interestingly enough, parallels exactly Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, almost to the word. Because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's very similar. So you see, this is now almost like bracketing. What, hap what happened at the end of chapter 4 and the end of chapter 9 is bracketing all of chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 leading us up to the second discourse. But as this bracket is being completed and this next segue is being shown, we're seeing something incredible here that we're not to just pass by. The summary of the last or the past five chapters leading to the next chapter seems to be placed in such a way that Matthew is going to highlight some things that, which, that have been done which lead to the next things that are going to happen. So it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. The verb used here is imperfect, which signifies this was an ongoing process. In today's world, it would be like if you were on a tour. Not, not like as tourists, but if you were like a big band that tours the country. And I suppose that you can even think Jesus is like a rock star going around. But he wasn't simply just entertaining what was he doing? And Jesus was going around. He was on this tour. And what was he doing? It says in the first verse, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. There is a trifle description of Jesus' ministry here. And it's teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing. These three descriptions are incredibly important because it will lead us now to the answer of 
why Jesus is doing this in the next verse. But before we go on, we're just going to stay here just a little bit. Teaching, but teaching how? Teaching like he taught in the Sermon of the Mount. Proclaiming, but proclaiming what? Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And healing every disease and every affliction. Any ailment that you could think of, Jesus could heal. This isn't just some random three things that Jesus did. And we need to explore this some more. Who taught with this kind of authority? Not like the scribes or the teachers of the day. Who taught with this kind of unction and authority in the Old Testament? Who was able to say, thus says the Lord, or in our more contemporary language, this is what the Lord says. Who was able to say that? The prophets. Who taught with authority? The prophets. But who was able to make any kind of proclamation, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom? Who's able to make a proclamation? Who's able to issue a proclamation? A proclamation is a public announcement made by a person of authority over some kind of specific region. Who can make a proclamation in the kingdom? The king. We got a prophet. We got something a king can do. What's left? We just went over this in the Westminster Catechism last week. What's left? The priest. How did Jesus do the miracles? Every single time we saw in Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 9, how did he do the miracles? Every single time he would want to or he would place his hands on the people. We talked about how if you touch someone or something unclean, you become unclean. In Leviticus chapter 16, this is what the Bible says about making an atonement in the day of atonement or Yom Kippur as we know it. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron, who was the high priest, what he would do is he would place both hands on the head of the live goat. He would touch the goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions and all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness, which meant this goat was in exile. It was banished with the sins, and it carried the sins of the people. In verse 22 in Leviticus 16, it says, The goat shall bear all their iniquities unto itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. You know, there was never a good and perfect enough priest. So even though the high priest had to do it, before they were able to do this, they had to sacrifice a huge bull. So before they were able to sacrifice a goat, they had to sacrifice a huge bull for themselves and for their sins. There was never a good and perfect priest because they even had to sacrifice a bull before he would sacrifice the goat to make an atonement. 
What's incredible here is we're seeing that Matthew is showing, and scriptures all over are showing us, we see it in the catechism, but we see it through the scriptures that Jesus isn't just some person like, you know what, this is cool. Jesus is teaching, Jesus is proclaiming, Jesus is healing. Hey, let's do this. We should do this. That's what it's about. So at first reading, you might think, this is what I should do. I should be healing. I should be proclaiming. I should be teaching. However, this is not what is being shown here. These are things that only the perfect prophet can do, that only the perfect king can do, and that only the perfect priest can do. These three things are pointing to again and again, but especially these these things in the summary is that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is God. There's no one else that can do this. No one else can do the things that Jesus did. And Jesus is Messiah, And Jesus is God. But why was he doing this? Why was he doing all these things? In the next verse, we see why. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you were listening to this and you were a Jewish listener, it would have pointed you as a listener, back to many, many verses which pertain to God being the shepherd and we being like the sheep, but we also being lost. Like Numbers 27, 17, 1 Kings 22, 17, Zechariah 10, 2, 2 Chronicles 18, 16, but especially Ezekiel chapter 34. What are these sheep that are harassed and helpless Ezekiel chapter 34, so they were scattered because there were no shepherds. They came for food for all, they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Sheep without a shepherd are sheep that are vulnerable to any kind of attack. Do you see that true? This is what God calls us. We are his sheep. Sheep without a shepherd are sheep that are vulnerable to any kind of attack. They are defenseless animals. Not only that, sheep tend to wander without paying attention. And often a whole lot of them get stuck in like a thicket meaning like a big bush, and they're, they're, they get stuck and they can't move. So just like, like, and they can't move because they get stuck in this thicket. And that's what they need a shepherd to pull them out. They can't even like graze properly. They just go to a bush and they get stuck. It was in 2005 in Turkey. They were, sheep were grazing. And uh, the shepherds wanted to grab breakfast real quick. So they went to grab breakfast and as they're eating breakfast they saw in this grazing pasture there was a cliff and one sheep jumped off the, sh- the the cliff and it was a 50 foot drop and so immediately killed that sheep and they watched in horror as the next sheep followed that first sheep and also jumped off and died this is a true story 2005 turkey this 50 foot drop And then a third sheep followed that second sheep, jumped off, and died. 
more than 450 sheep jumped off following that first sheep and died. But you know what's even more interesting? 1,100 sheep followed after the 450, but they didn't die because the 450 sheep that died was, were a cushion. So they, didn't, they just landed on this whole huge fleece-like mountain, and they didn't die. 450 sheep died, and the rest of the herd followed. The, the shepherds that were eating breakfast is like, what is going on? They couldn't even stop it. And in this small town of Turkey, it was a huge struggle for them because they could barely make a living. And now a quarter of their sheep were dead. Sheep need a shepherd. And this is what is being shown to us, but this is the heart of God. Wait, before we go, do we recognize this? Do we see that we need a shepherd? That every time we try to do things on our own, we're just jumping off a cliff? We're getting stuck in a thicket? Do we see that? Has God shown this to you? Or do you still think, I'm a sheep, I can conquer the world? Come at me. My fleece will bounce everything off. And you jump off a cliff. Sheep need a shepherd. In Ezekiel chapter 34, it goes on though. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back, the, bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Jesus is God. And he is the true shepherd. He sees his people, sheep without a shepherd. And in the word here, it says, he had compassion. Compassion in the Koine Greek is splankizomai, but it doesn't just mean compassion like we understand it. It literally means that your guts are moved. This is not just any kind of compassion. The compassion that is explained and described that Jesus has, and this word was ever either used in a parable or only for Jesus himself. So it was never used for anybody else. The compassion that Jesus has is deep. You know, you can have sympathy when someone stubs their toe. You go, oh. And it can go deeper. You know, someone doesn't get into the college they really wanted to, or someone loses their job, and it goes deeper from the to the, oh, 
I'm sorry to hear that. But then when someone experiences real troubling loss, that sympathy goes deeper, doesn't it? If someone loses their beloved friend or family member, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. But that compassion even goes deeper. When you lose something and experience a deep loss, and the deeper it goes, and your core and your guts are moved, that is a deep compassion. That only happens when there is a serious loss. It's a compassion that goes down to the guts. And this is the word that the scriptures use to try to convey God's compassion for you. Jesus looks at his lost sheep and he has compassion. And that's what's being said here. In verse 37, then, then is always used to say, now we're going to go on to this next part, this next sequence. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then, as a result of this, as a result of all this that you have seen and heard, the compassion, Jesus goes to his disciples, and who are his disciples? The disciples of Jesus are those that he has called, okay? Whom he called. Those whose hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. Those that are close to Jesus. Those that are close to Jesus, Jesus goes, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is a metaphor that if you grew up in the church, you've heard it a lot. But what does it mean? There's a lot to, to the harvest meaning saying that this harvest, if you look at this picture or this metaphor, the harvest is there's a lot. There's a lot of work to do. And Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, is saying that there's going to be a lot of people, because it's a metaphor, there's a lot of people that are going to be included in the kingdom. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be included in the kingdom, but the laborers are few. So you've heard this before, Right? If you went to church, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So if you've heard this before, you may have heard it in this way. And you could have thought, oh man, that's right. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only way. And there's so much work to be done. It's time to get to work. Let's go. Or you could have thought, time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Let's go. I'm ready. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But the sentence isn't over. In verse 38, he says, Therefore, because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, what does Jesus say to do? Does he say, get up, let's go? He says, pray. He says, pray. <clears throat> yes, following a statement like the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few would demand a solid action. And this is the action that Jesus is commanding and demanding of his disciples. Pray. 
That is the really effective thing and the truly powerful thing that we must do. It's to pray. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, when we're faced with a social dilemma or political disorder or family issues or financial problems, what's the first thing we ought to do? What's the first thing we ought to do? But what is the first thing we do do? What's the first thing we ought to do, but what do we really do? Sure, I can pray for food, you know. After this, we're going to go get some fried chicken, whatever it is. I can pray for the food and stuff. But what do I do when I have a problem bigger than that? The more serious the issue is, what do we tend to do? Calculate? Scheme? Run around anxiously? Get angry? Blame others? Take it up on social media? What could be more important than getting people into the kingdom of God? What could be more important than getting people into the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus say to do first? Here's another thing. Whose harvest is it? We read the verses. Whose harvest is it? Whose sheep is it? And so who is the one that sends out laborers or workers into the field? And so Jesus exhorts his disciple to pray first that God send workers into the field. We have so many fake workers out there. They were not sent by God. They're the ones that immediately got up and God's like, I didn't send you. What's going on? Or we have people because we live in an age that does not like authority. We do not like authority. We know how corruptible power is and we resent those that succumb to the evils of power because power tends to corrupt. And we resent people that succumb to that power. But you know what you've been called to do. The more important, the more dire, the more serious, the more we should learn to get on our knees and pray. Because who has ultimate authority over all the kings and leaders of all the world? Who has ultimate sovereignty, authority over every king, every leader all over the world? Is it any surprise then that the scriptures command believers to pray for those that have authority over them? It's not just about griping that you have an authority or a leader or a boss or whoever that you don't like. Scriptures command that we pray for them. And this isn't just about praying for our leaders. As we follow God's command to pray, especially concerning the harvest, something happens in us. When we start praying for God to send workers into the harvest, something happens in us. You know what that is? The compassion that Jesus has 
we start to get. The lost isn't just simply God's concern so that we can just live our lives. The lost becomes our concern. And when we obey Christ to pray for the things that he tells us to pray for, something happens in us. And we become changed. And our hearts start to become more like his. You know, he doesn't say pray that you could have power to heal or pray so that you could proclaim so eloquently pray so that you can teach with authority he doesn't say that but he goes pray so that you can God can send out workers to the field because why because Jesus had compassion when he saw the lost sheep so he goes pray meaning earnestly pray have this heart that I have in God's great love for us he didn't just leave us as spectators but he granted us this incredible grace, incredible privilege to be participants of his great design for salvation. By calling us, he teaches us and equips us, but most importantly, he gives us a heart that follows after his. Isn't that interesting? God doesn't tell us to pray that we have powers like Jesus did. He tells us to pray so that we feel the urgency and need for workers to go out into the field. Here's my question for you. Do you consider yourself a follower of Jesus? And think about it. Do you consider yourself a follower of Jesus? Then, how is your heart moved when it comes to the harvest. How is your heart moved when it comes to the lost sheep of God? Where is your priority? Is it like Christ? Because as Jesus commands us to pray, we see that he molds our heart like his And we have urgency just like he does. We see the true need and priority like he does. And when we don't do this, our priority is all out of whack. We're chasing after the things of the world, and we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus, but we could be anything but close to the heart of God. Are you a follower of Jesus? And how is your heart moved when it comes to the harvest You see that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. There's no other way. Then, therefore, pray earnestly that God send workers. My friends, there is no other way. When we don't follow Jesus, it's a deconstruction of creation. We see people going back to hell further and further there's strife there's anger there's bitterness there's all these things everybody thinks they're right and everybody else is wrong there's this false sense of autonomy that we have but Jesus comes and goes I am the true king there's no other way when we believe in Jesus give ourselves to him he doesn't go you're good you're good you believed in me you're set You can just press cruise, and you're gone. But because of God's incredible grace and his mercy, you know what he goes? Follow me. Come with me. Get my heart. 
Know what I love. My heart will, your heart will break for the things that break mine. You're, you will love the things that I love, and we become like the Savior. This is God's heart for us if we are his disciples. I'll ask this question one last time. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you consider him to be the ultimate king, prophet, and priest? Is he God and Messiah over your life? And how is your heart moved when it comes to the harvest? Let's pray. Lord, if we are to get the eyes that you have, and we are to look around the world today, even this very moment, even what happened in the last week, we see a people rebellious, we see a world crumbling, and Lord, we pray earnestly that you send out workers into the field. And Lord, change our hearts so that it will be like yours. For Lord God, we want to be like you, and we want to follow you. Let's take this time to pray and lift up your hearts to the Lord. If you don't know Christ, and you didn't know that he was king, prophet, and priest over you, then is the Holy Spirit opening up your eyes so that you can hear him calling you into his presence to be his disciple. And if you are his disciple and you firmly believe it, then know that Jesus is teaching you so he will change your heart so that it can be more like his. The things that he has compassion for, we do as well. So pray for these things and pray earnestly that God sends workers into the field. Let's take this time to pray.